Good morning. Um, I, I deem it a great privilege and a blessing and opportunity to um, bring home the Word of God today on this important occasion. Uh, by that, I want to say a very big thank you to the Dean of Chapel and the Chapel team and all those involved in um, making this choice in me. I don't know how they made this choice, but <laughs> I trust that the Spirit of God is having His way in our midst. Shall we pray? It is you who have these words. And we are told that these words are life and spirit. And these words enter through us to bring light and understanding unto the simple. Therefore, O God, give us a seeing eye, a hearing ear, a discerning heart, that we may perceive the truth of your word, and out of the truth we shall be set free. Hide me, O God, behind the cross, and let you alone be seen and heard in the assembly of your people. Thank you for your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray with thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Now, in the story of God, Christ was about bringing his earthly ministry to an end. And he had entered into Jerusalem triumphantly five days prior to the celebration of the Feast of the Passover. That is the feast that was celebrated to remember the deliverance from bondage in Egypt. And after he entered into Jerusalem, he, he navigated around town for some days and um, before he went to the temple, as part of the celebration, the Jews had to offer animals, sacrificial animals like cattle, sheep, and the poor ones among them who offer doves. And aside that too, they had to pay temple tax. And so there was a location at Mount Olives where stores were established for the commercial activities of purchasing of these sacrificial animals and acquisition of the temple tax. And so the Jews would come from all over the place, and because they couldn't carry these animals from their places of living, they had to purchase them at Mount Olives. Now, at this time, the location has been moved from Mount Olives to the temple. A move of desecration. The temple was a place, it was a symbol of prayer. The temple gave the Jews their national identity and pride. But this move was a move of desecration. And the priests who were mandated to serve in the temple, to see to the welfare of the temple, could not stop this move. As a matter of fact, they were the very people who engineered this move. The temple had been rebuilt and enlarged to to reflect its patriotic significance. In fact, they used to say that he who has not seen the temple of Herod has not seen a beautiful thing. It gave them a sense of pride. But this move had brought corruption into the temple. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes of the Seleucid Empire 
he made a move to paganize the temple. But for the intervention of the Maccabean revolt, he could not succeed. Antiochus Epiphanes was an outsider, but this time round, the corruption and the desecration was being fomented from the temple within. And how dangerous it is to fight a system that is being corrupted from within. It is very easy to fight an enemy when it's coming from an outside than to fight a system that is corrupting from the within. It is against this background that this gentle Jesus, meek and mild. <laughs> Jesus, who, who ought not to disturb our, our peace, he, he must make us happy all the time. Jesus, who, who ought not to confront us, he prophetically and calculatedly stormed the temple and confronted the established priesthood. And exclaimed, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now, a careful examination of this text reveals some contrast. Let's do some little ideas and excuses, you know. <laughs> <laughs> My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Mine pitched against you. Mine refers to God. He owns the temple. He is supposed to rule. He is supposed to have the final say, the authority in the house, the authority in the temple. He is supposed to superintend and sovereign over the temple. But you, referring to the established priesthood, people consecrated, anointed and ordained to serve in the temple, have forsaken their holy imagination. They have cast off their holy apparels and they have clothed themselves with corruption and they have taken God out of his temple and they have taken the seats of God. They were dictating what goes in and what goes out. The glory of God had departed. Just as in the days of the prophet Ezekiel, when he saw in the vision how the glory of God had departed from the temple through the east window. Service, worship, praise. In the temple was supposed to be in the atmosphere of prayer. But they were sacrificing in an atmosphere of desecration and corruption. He said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. That means that if we want to find the primary character, the primary identity of the house of God, it is prayer. It presupposes that we cannot separate the house of God from prayer. Prayer, as a means of grace, distinguishes the house or the church from any other institution or organization. It sustains the presence and the glory of God among his people in the church. Prayer maintains and grows the prophetic identity of the church. 
Listen to these words of E.M. Bounds. God sets prayer above all else in his house. When prayer becomes a stranger in the house of God, the church ceases to be the house of God. The life, power, and glory of the church is prayer. Without it, the church is lifeless and powerless. When prayer becomes an unfamiliar exercise in the church, it is a sign that God has been outlawed and set aside. Singing is good. Teaching is good. Even what I'm doing now is good. <laughs> preaching is good. But singing and teaching and preaching and everything that we do in the house of God must be predicated on the foundation of prayer. It is out of the wounds of prayer that effective and fervent preaching can be brought forth. It is out of the wounds of prayer that we can sing and people are getting healed. Look at David. He, he, he just played the harp and demons were coming out of him. Why? Because David had a relationship with the father. He was always tapping into the grace of God. Prayer is that which expresses our dependency on the triune God of grace. Through prayer, we acknowledge our limitedness and the unlimitedness of God. Thus, we trust our whole being on him, knowing that it is in him we live and move and have our being. Without God, we can do nothing. John says in 15, chapter 15, verse 5. I remember when my sister Becky preached at church. He said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. If ye abide in me and I abide in you, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. Without God, the church can never bear any fruit. And without God, we, you and I, cannot bear any fruit. And so we derive our dependency, our sufficiency, efficiency, and adequacy from God. Anytime we, we want to be independent, we seek independence, we set ourselves up for disaster. Look at the prodigal son. He felt he had come of age and he could handle his own affairs. And he sought the independence of his father. And the world said, welcome. The devil said to him, you are welcome to my humble abode. He messed him up big time. <laughs> and because he sought independence from his father, he lost the covering. He lost the security. He lost the protection and the blessings of the father. He became messed up until he came back to his senses. Whenever the church feels a sense of adequacy and uh, we feel like, God, we got it, we got it, we got it. We can handle it. We, we set ourselves up. You see, the battle that the church is facing is so strong that our debating and our argument, it is good. I thank God, I thank God for, for the blessings of intelligent scholars, people who, who could intelligently search scriptures and come out and make proposals and propositions. 
people who could debate and, and, and come out with all kinds of concepts. We thank God for that. But aside that, holding that in our left hand, we must hold prayer in our right hand. Our debates must go hand in hand with prayer. Because our warfare is not after men. The warfare in which the church is involved in the battle is not with flesh and blood. It is against super beings that we can't see with our eyes. But we thank God that through the cross, we are fighting from a victory perspective. We have won this battle already, but we must rely on God to enforce this victory. My house shall be called the house of prayer. Now look at the life of Jesus. From his baptism, Luke tells us that he was praying, and whilst he was praying, while Jesus was praying, the heavens opened. From baptism to the cross, you could trace pockets of prayer in his life. In fact, Hebrews tells us about Jesus. He said, who in the days of his flesh offered up prayers and supplications with tears, strong tears and cries to the one who was able to save him. And he was heard because of his submission. Christ himself, the one who could have done it without prayer, always consulted God. He will retreat into the mountains in the night, pray for how many hours, I can't tell. And in the morning when he shows up in town, the blind are seen, the cripples are walking, the dead are being raised. Why? He had tarried with the Father. And when he steps out into town in ministry, it is not him, but it is the Father who is working through him. Our exegesis is very good. IBS, very good. In fact, it helped me to come to this far. <laughs> but aside our IBS and exegesis and all, you know, how competently we can handle the text technically, we must buy into prayer. I thank God that we have a professor here, my preaching professor. He is, she is bold enough to, to tell her student that before you start preparing your sermon, at least for two days, pray and meditate on the word. Before you go to the commentaries and consult all the technical tools and, and the surgical tools and the secondary resources, Pray at least two days, reflecting daily. Oh, when I started preparing this sermon, I, I work at the beach and, you know, center, so I start work at five o'clock and, you know, as, as I'm mopping the floor, I am preaching in my mind. As I'm, as I'm mopping, the, as I'm cleaning, I am, I am praying and reflecting on the word of God. Look at the life of, of the early church. You couldn't separate prayer from their ministry. Why? Because they realized that this whole thing is not about them. In fact, it is, it is bigger. It is, it is so massive. It is so expansive that they, they can't even navigate themselves through. In fact, they were not the cream of the society. If they were looking for competent people, they were not the ones to be chosen. They realized that they were the foolish things of the world that God has chosen to confirm the things that were wise. 
They realized that they were the victims of the world to confound the things that are strong. Therefore, they always contacted God in prayer. They depended on God in prayer. They stayed connected with God, just as the branch stays connected to the vine. And whenever we stay in connection with the vine, we tap divine energies from God. You step into ministry and things are moving. And God is moving. And people are being healed. The depressed are being healed. And it's not you. Because you have stayed in connection, God is flowing through you. You have become a conduit of grace. Oh, say it. Stay connected. Say it after me. Stay connected. I, I, I can't feel you. You are listening to an African preacher. Stay connected. That's it. We, 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 we ought to stay connected to the vine. And it takes prayer. It is out of that relationship that prayer oozes out. And it also takes prayer to go deeper in that relationship. Richard Foster says something. He said, the world does not need gifted people. The world is not in need of intelligent people, but deep people. People who are deeply seated in Christ Jesus. People who are deeply and firmly cemented in their relationship with God. It is these people that God uses. Peter was arrested. And the Bible said that that same night when the church was praying, an angel was despised. Look at Paul and Silas in prison. They prayed. And after their prayer, there is nothing that prayer cannot move. The world may argue against us. The world may debate strongly against us. They may despise our message and shun our personality, but they can never resist our prayer. And it will take our prayer for us to ride over the arguments of the world. I am speaking to some professor. God is speaking to a pastor here. But God is also speaking to a potential professor. He's also speaking to a potential pastor. There is a church planter here. We are all involved in one way or the other in the ministry. It is not about us. I like how Dr. Simmons described it. He said, it is, it is the ministry of Christ to the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not us at all. If God needed some people, I believe that some of us here will be highly disqualified. But glory be to God that, you know, he calls us and then he qualifies us not in anything, but in him. Maybe you are, you, you, you are weak. You are weary. You, you started your Christian journey on a very strong note. Battles in life have buffeted you so strongly that you, you are losing passion. Your faith is waning. You used to pray a lot. But now you just lay on your bed and you, you, you snuggle off. You wish you could go back. You say that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. It is he who supplies the strength from above. All that he needs is our availability. Are we available? Are we longing? God is longing for his children. He longs to be our father that we might become his sons and daughters. He longs for us. Are you ready to tap into this fountain of life and grace that is about to pour on us? Let us really become a community that prays. By our prayer, we can stand with Dr. Tennant in all his meetings and in all his rounds. By our prayer, we, we can stand with the chapel team in organizing and putting things together so that we can have a worshiping community. By our prayer, we can stand with our professors and the staff members in their busy schedules and teaching. By your prayer, you can be with a pastor who is suffering in the Middle East. By your prayer, you can identify with somebody on the sick bed. Let us put on our garments of prayer. God is waiting and beckoning on us to give us that grace that will remain connected with him. As we come to the Lord's table, celebrating the, the mighty acts of God in, and thanking him for the gift of life through the death the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let us also know that we are meeting Jesus Christ at the table who is our prayer partner. He is still in the intercessory ministry. He supplies the grace. He will give us the enablement that we may partner with him in prayer for the communities and the world at large. May the Lord add his blessings to his word. Amen.